0: Good morning, church. <laughs> Welcome to our gathering today. So good to see you folks. We're going to turn to the Bible in a moment before. Before we do that, let me just say a few things. First of all, surge coming up. Uh, that on that Sunday morning of the, the Sunday 24th, we will not be having services across our locations. We will be all gathering for one massive service in the Usher Hall. So that's going to be epic, all right? Uh, but I encourage you, and that's, that, that's free, that's just church, okay? But I encourage you, come for the entire conference, come for the Saturday and the Sunday, book up through surge18.com, it will be a life-changing moment for you. There's going to be tons, of, on the Saturday night there's going to be a big thing of, uh, wild, uh, what's it called, Fearless, Fearless, I've got the name of it for the youth, uh, there's, there's going to be, I believe there's going to be dramatic miracles and healings. It's going to be such a key time. You're going to learn things. You're going to grow in things. You're going to have experiences with God. You really don't want to miss it. So book up and be there. I will see you there. And uh, it helps us if you book. So bookings are coming in, but uh, they're not coming in fast enough. So get your bookings in. Uh, Also, just to share, last week, it was so cool. Sunday morning, I arrived. I was preaching in our Leith and our North locations. And as I arrived in Leith in the morning service, I got chatting with... Uh, a, a guy that I hadn't seen since Easter Sunday. He came along to the, you know, the Easter in the Gardens event. He was there, and at the Easter in the Gardens event, he was in a lot of pain. So he, at the end of the service, he came up to speak to me, and he was struggling with with back pain. He, I think he had some sort of patch on his arm that constantly gave him medication for the pain. He was in constant pain, and I, I said to him at Easter in the Gardens, I, I would love to pray for you. I believe God could heal your back. And and he said, no, I don't think God could do that. <laughs> oh, that's great, great, really man, man of faith. And, uh, and I said, well, do you not think if God raised Jesus from the dead, and that's what we were celebrating that day, it's Easter Sunday, do you not think if God raised Jesus from the dead, he could heal your back? And he said, listen, I've had this back condition for so many years, constantly in pain, I've got, I mean, on strong painkillers all the time, I don't think God could heal my back. So I ignored his unbelief and I said, well, let me pray for you anyway. I believe. So I I prayed for him and I asked God to heal his back. And I hadn't seen him since then. And uh, next time I saw him was just last Sunday morning. And he was in our leaf service. And he'd been there the week before as well. He started coming back to church. And he said, oh, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, I remember praying for you at Easter Sunday. How's your back? And he said, I haven't had one bit of pain in my back since Easter Sunday. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So that's so cool. And then uh, last Sunday evening, we had a fantastic time with Yinka. Who's all? Anyone there? Some of you are there. Really cool time. And uh, many people, many, many people were miraculously, people with long-term... First, he prayed for people with, who had had long-term sicknesses, five years and more uh, ailments in their body. One lady, um, Alex Kitchen you got everyone to pray for everyone so Alex and Pete Kitchen who are part of the leadership in our in our north location they prayed with one lady and and this lady had had arthritis for 30 years imagine arthritis for 30 years anyway as she was prayed for all the pain left movement was regained instantaneously and completely healed I love that I think that's awesome So God, thank you so much that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thank you, God, for the good plans you have for our lives. God, thank you, you're a God with whom all things are possible. And no matter what the predicament we face, you can bring a turnaround. God, I ask you just now, as we turn to the Bible, I ask that you would speak to us. God, you know everyone in this room. I know you have good plans for them. And God, more important than any physical miracle we can see, is the transformation you do in our souls. So, God, as we turn to the Bible, I pray you'd speak to us. I pray you'd encourage our hearts. I pray for, for people here today who are far from you. Bring, bring them close to you. I pray for those who know you, God. Challenge us and encourage us, I ask. Help me to speak, Father. Help us to hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You know, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of church. Someone says to you, tell me about local church. What comes to your mind some people, there's very positive associations, hopefully most of you. It'll be things like, yeah, it's a great place to get to know people, uh, f- fellowship, foods. Like last week, I heard about all the foods. Um, you know, it's, it's a multicultural place. It's a, it's a great place to grow. and you, It's a place of inspiration. Lots of things positively you could say. But sadly, there'll be some people, if you ask them, tell me what you think about church, is they would say, ah, well, church. And they might say something like, I don't like it, it's full of hypocrites. They might make that kind of comment because actually church hasn't been perfect and people have negative experiences in this awesome place called the local church. And I I wanna look honestly and in a real way about how the negatives in church can affect our lives and how we can overcome it because that's what Paul does in this letter to the Philippians. Uh, There was a a German philosopher, a man called Schorben Howards. And Howard wrote a book in which he compared humans to porcupines. And he said that uh, these porcupines, as it gets very, very cold in those cold winter nights, and he, and he said, the colder it gets outside, the more they huddle together for warmth. But the closer they get to one another, the more they hurt one another with their sharp quills. Uh, so get your finger and go, ow, against your neighbor. Ah. Okay. So, what we, the, the Bible tells us a reality that we need each other, but we needle each other as well, okay? That's the problem we have as human beings. We need each other, but we also needle each other as well. And you see this in the Bible. Since the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, there's been imperfections. So, the book of Acts... For those who don't know, it's a book in the Bible, and it talks about the journey of the early church. It talks about how the first church was birthed on planet Earth. And in, in the first church, we see, by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, there was divisions and grumblings among them, and because of the, the food wasn't being distributed fairly among all the poor people. So some of the poor were up in arms against other people who were poor, and, and they had to appoint deacons to solve that problem. And then by the time you get to Acts chapter 15 there was a problem, a theological debate that re- required Paul and others of the great leaders to gather together and have a discussion in Jerusalem to try and bring resolve to this conflict that had emerged. By the end, you get to the end of chapter 15, and Paul and Barnabas, the great apostles, they had a falling out and had to go in different directions because they, they saw things slightly differently. Now, good news is, as you read on in Paul's letters, the indication is that there was a reconciliation among those two groupings. But at that point there was conflict. So the Bible doesn't ignore the fact that often in local church there can be, you can be rattled, you can be wound up the wrong way by people, people who should know better affect you negatively. And that can happen in church. So let's turn to Philippians. This is a book that we've been reading through in the last few months and it's actually, it's been a pretty perfect church. People would say, the commentators of the Bible will tell you that in the book of Philippians, it's very different to many of the other books Paul wrote, because in many of the other books Paul wrote, he was often challenging the problems in the church. When it comes to the book of Philippians, the book's all about joy, and actually the the church is doing great. However, this is the one challenge. In these verses, these three verses, this is the one challenge. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, my fellow believers... "...whom I love and long for, my delight and crown, my wreath of victory. In this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloveds. I urge you, dear, and I urge Sintiki to agree and to work in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, I ask you too, my true companion, to help these women to keep on cooperating, for they have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. So Paul's writing to the church at, Corinth, at, at church of Philippi, and he's saying, there's two ladies, uh, Euidea and Syntyche, and they're, they've fallen out. And he's appealing to them in this letter that they resolve their differences. So let me just kind of take you back 12 years. 12 years earlier, that's when this church was started. And it started in quite an amazing way. You can find it in Acts chapter 16. Paul arrives in Philippi, and God leads him, first of all, to encounter a woman who was praying down by a river, a woman called Lydia. She was a very wealthy, probably a widowed woman. She had a large household, lots of servants. She earned lots of money, and she came to faith, and that she and her household became the first believers in, in Philippi. So there was this lady called Woman, a, a wealthy Uh, probably single woman called Lydia. And then there was the next person who who was encountering God in the church was a slave girl who was totally from this kind of background of the occult, and she was being used in very demonic ways, but involved with witchcraft and fortune-telling, and God set her free. So member number two of the church is a slave who is involved with the occult. And then member number three of the church that we're told about is this jailer, And this jailist, kind of G.I. Joe individual, he was a kind of tough Roman, pagan, Gentile guy who had this encounter with God in a prison. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. He meets God. So that's how the church began. Now, it's interesting. There was a, a wealthy woman, a slave, and a Gentile. That's how the church started. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you know this, but for male Jews in that time, it was common every day for male Jews to thank God for three things. They thanked God. They woke up every morning and said, thank God. And they they thanked God for three things. They thanked him for three things. First thing was, thank you, God, I'm not a woman. Thank you, God, I'm not a slave. And thank you, I'm not a pagan Gentile. (laughs) What? I don't know if that's how you started your day. But anyway, um, don't say amen. That's the point not to say amen. I don't know if that's how you started, but that's for Jewish men in that era. They would wake up and say, thank you, God. I'm not a woman, I'm not a slave, and I'm not a pagan Gentile. So isn't it interesting, and I think it's deliberate, that that Luke in Acts records that the first three people named in the church of Philippi was a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Because God wants you to understand that the local church is from people from all different backgrounds age groups, and cultures. Bible says in heaven, there'll be every tribe, nation, language, and tongue before the throne. We are this awesome, international, diverse community. Say amen. Amen. That's good news. That's what we are, and that's how God intends us to be, and that's how God will continue to bless us. And up until now, this diverse, awesome gathering, eclectic gathering of people has been this perfect church, and there doesn't seem to be any cracks until this point. And then all of a sudden there's cracks in the church. And there's cracks because there's human beings. Any human beings here today? Say, uh-oh. Say, Look at your neighbor and say, uh-oh. Uh-oh, you're here. <clears throat> you have human beings. You have cracks. That's the reality. There is no perfect church. And Paul writes, let me just unpack it for you. He says, I urge you, dear. And I urge syntiki to agree that they may have been part of the original church from 12 years before. And the reason I say that is Paul obviously knows them. He calls them his companions, his fellow workers. So he's obviously worked alongside them. And as far as we know, he only went to Philippi once, and that was when the church was planted. So probably they were in the church in that early stage when it was this radical, diverse community. But for whatever reason, there's been a become a bit of a crack in their relationships. Now imagine you're sitting in the church 12 years later, and you get a, pos, a letter from the great apostle Paul, and you think, it's not just a letter, this is actually scripture. And you and they read out this letter, and you, the whole church is gathered, and they're reading out this letter from the Apostle Paul, and then he mentions, and then there's a the Yoeda, and there's Sintiki. And everyone's like, Oh, my name's in the Bible. Yes, I get in the Bible. And then you suddenly realize. And it's because of their divisions. So imagine the whole church is gathered. They're, they're reading out the letter. It didn't come as an email or as a kind of a, as a blog. It came as a letter written. And one person, most likely the pastor, read it out to the church. Imagine they're all sitting there. And, and those two are at the back. And everyone turns around and looks at you. Idiot. And they're like this around each other's necks. And then you see everyone. <laughs> and <they're> like, <laughs> they all get nice. You Imagine that. Imagine, you're in the Bible. But not, not, not such a good way. It's like Jezebel also got in the Bible. That wasn't good either. And he says, I urge them to agree and to work in harmony in the Lord. Now, he didn't just say, ladies, just agree. He said, I urge you to agree and work in harmony in the Lord. He didn't just say, just agree. Uh, Sam went to his friend John and said, you get along so well with everybody. How how on earth do you do this, John? John. And John answered, it's easy. I never disagree with anyone, no matter what. Sam didn't believe him and he exclaimed, that's impossible, John replied. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Anyway, you're a hard crowd today. You're a hard crowd today. (laughs) He didn't just say, just agree, just ignore you, just agree. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, was asked by a reporter if she ever disagreed with her husbands. And she said it was her opinion that if two people always agreed, one of them wasn't necessary. God has wired us to be different. God has wired us to see things differently. God has wired us to have perspectives to have giftings that help us see things differently, to approach life in different ways. There is a diversity and there's a variety and there's a beauty in that. And God has wired us to be different. Some of that difference comes from your natural giftedness. Some of that differences comes from your cultural differences. Some of those differences come from various sources. But God has intentionally wired us differently, and not one person is unnecessary. Paul doesn't say just agree. He says agree and work in harmony in the lords you dear and syntiki weren't in harmony they weren't i remember our first carols by candlelight service we ever had we'd we, before we even bought our leaf building and it was in tollcross primary school and we were there and a, a we had this program of different things happening and one of the items in the program was there's going to be a like an instrumental piece where there was a flute player and there's a violinist. Actually, <laughs> see Angie smiling already. It was really bad. They, if one of them had done it, fine. If the other one had done it, absolutely fine. But they weren't tuned in with each other. One of them was like here, one of them was here. Totally, totally. And, they, and the, the problem was they just went for it. And I thought after a verse, do you not notice? This is, I've seen there thing, this is so bad. It was so bad. And it was so loud. And they were just going for it with such passion But like they were totally out of tune from each other, totally. But then they had about three or four verses of this. I thought, just kill it right now, kill it. There were so many visitors and guests and we're so thrilled. So glad you came to our church, have a great experience. It was awful. Out of tune. Now the solution wouldn't have been, all right, you just tune to me or no, no, you tune to me. That wouldn't have been the solution because they might have been out of tune themselves. What they needed was a standard that was independent of either of them that they tuned to, like a tuning fork, and they tuned to that independent standard, and then both of them by default would then be in tune with each other. If you have a hundred pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork, all of them by default are tuned to each other. Paul didn't just say, all right, ladies, just, just agree. He didn't say that. He said, agree in the Lord's. Agree in the Lord's. In other words, remember the greatest thing you've got in common. He didn't, he didn't delve into their arguments. He called them to a higher thing. You know, you could even agree to disagree with someone in the Lord. Your view on something might be slightly different. Your perspective on, uh, you know, the way you do this thing, or the way you do this thing, or the way you would like things done, or on what they said, I disagree with what you said. Okay, your view on that might be different, but you could say, well, I will agree to disagree because Ashley, you're my brother, and you're my sister, and we're, gonna, we're in the Lord's. There's a higher reason why we should get on, and that, that lower reason will not separate us. Why does in the Lord change everything? Well, the greatest unresolved issue on planet earth was sin. That was the greatest unresolved issue ever that human beings and gods, the ultimate relationship, had been severed. And God himself took the initiative to deal with the greatest unresolved issue, sin. God's 2,000 years ago, became a man. Jesus Christ was born. He came into this world with the agenda of dying for us on a cross, paying the price with his own blood, so that our sins could be forgiven, so we could be reunited to God. That's the biggest, most unresolved issue that has ever existed. And God, at his own expense, with his own blood, paid the price to resolve the most unresolvable problem ever. So, it makes all the difference, Paul's saying, agree in the Lord's, because you're, I mean, if, if, if God's going to do all that to resolve the biggest issue ever, do you not think you can resolve some smaller issue? God's gone to that extent. He died for your sin. So when Paul's saying, agree in the Lord, he's saying, listen, there's nothing that should get in the way of our relationship because the ultimate relationship's been resolved. It's fixed this way, so therefore it should be fixed this way. It's fixed vertically, therefore it should be fixed horizontally. That's how it goes. In the Lord, agree. You see, the problem's not you versus you or me versus you or you versus me. It's us versus sin. Our problems always come from sin. You know, different perspectives, that's fine. But as soon as you move into crazy thinking, that's sin. Or stupid actions, that's sin. Or dumb words, that's sin. Don't justify that, you repent for that. But the, it's not me v. you or you v. me or you v. you, it's, it's us v. sin, God was against sin, therefore we should be against sin. We're not sitting facing each other, we're sitting facing together against sin. When he says, agree in the Lord, he's also making the point that we're family. When you become a believer in Jesus, and hey, I, I don't know you all, maybe some of you today haven't yet experienced that incredible forgiveness that God died to purchase for you. And today, my prayer is, before the end of the service that you step out and you put your trust in Jesus to be your savior. And when you agree in the Lord and when, you, and when you come to know Jesus, God becomes your father and I become your brother and you become my sister or my brother. We become part of one family. So when Paul says agree in the Lord, he's reminding them, you've got the same father. It's not like you're just hanging out and singing songs together. No, no, you've got the same father. God is your father. There is absolutely no reason why brothers and sisters shouldn't resolve their issues. When he's saying agree in the Lord, he's saying, you know, he's saying God lives in you. God has come, if you're a believer in Jesus, God by his spirit has come, taken up residence in your life. So here's the thing, if God lives in you, the power of the Holy Spirit lives in you, then how on earth can you not resolve any issue? You don't think God is powerful enough to resolve a conflict you're facing? Even a even a complex one? Of course he is. Agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord is, is here's a point as well. If you're agreeing in the Lord, he's acknowledging that. Listen, you're not just secular people here. God is involved in your lives. And see, when God's involved in your lives, you should be changing. Here's what's happening when God's involved in our lives. And we're very varying degrees of this, right? When God's involved, involved in our lives, our hearts should be softer than they were before God was involved in our lives. Our attitude should be a bit more humble than it was before God was involved in our lives. And if God finds a soft heart and a humble heart in two people, or if you allow God to soften your heart and give you humility, then there is no conflict that cannot be resolved. No conflict. It's It's true. No conflict. All issues can be resolved. If you've sinned, repent. If, if it's a matter of preference, if it's, all right, well, it's not a sin, it's just you see this differently to the way I see things. Okay, let's talk about it. But then it might be that we agree to disagree in the Lord because our relationship in God means more than the conflict in this area. If it's a doctrinal issue, if it's a doctrinal difference, then at least discuss it. Maybe get someone wise to be involved in that doctrinal discussion. I'm sure, typically, there is always a good way of resolving that as well. Agree in the Lord. Now, let me just, let me just, let me just land this in a very practical area in life, in marriage. Say, uh-oh. Okay, so this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He says, to the married, I give this command: not I, but the Lord. And when he says that, he's actually making the point that Jesus himself made in the Gospels. If you read the Gospels, Jesus, using different words, makes the exact same point that Paul's going to make. So, when he's saying, not I, but the Lord, he's saying, uh, I'm just basically saying what Jesus said in the Gospels. He's reminding them. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. The wife must not separate from her husband's. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husbands as a husband and a a husband must not divorce his wife. Now, you've heard Jesus say that. That's why Paul says, not I, but the Lord said this. Jesus is saying to believers, if you're a believer and you're a believer, shouldn't get divorced. Why? Because you're in the Lord. There is no area that cannot be resolved. Now, you could be one of those kiddy on believers, all right, he said he was a believer. You know, honey, she didn't, he didn't really mean that. He just said that to get you, okay? So that goes on. Some people will just claim anything to get the one they want. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about two authentic believers. That's what Paul's talking about. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. When you've got two authentic believers, there is no reason why every situation cannot be resolved. I believe that. And if there is a separation, sometimes separation is necessary because you actually need the space to work on something there and work on something there, and then you can come back together again. But there is no reason why in, in the context of a, a God covenant where two people are following God individually and then they're in covenant with each other, no reason why they cannot be resolved in that marriage. I believe, now listen, I know that hasn't always happens, and it doesn't mean there's not grace for when that doesn't happen. I'm not saying that. But I am saying there is no reason why it cannot be worked out because God is on the throne in those two individuals' lives. Your heart should be becoming softer. Your attitude should become more humble. There is no reason why that could not be resolved. Say, Amen? And then he goes on in the verses and he says, To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. Now, what he's saying there, he's not saying, All right, Lord, don't listen. I'm just going to give them some advice. He's not saying that. He's, he's, He's saying, that this is now me saying something that Jesus didn't say, but I'm now making a point, scripture point, that needs to be said because of a slightly different context. If a brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And then he goes on and says in verse 15, and if the unbeliever lives leaves, let them do so. The brother and sister is not bound under such circumstances. He's saying that there are situations where you have a, a, a couple where one of them is not following Jesus. They're not following Jesus, and, but you're in love. And, and Paul says, stay together, walk. You know, if you're a Christian and you're married to a non-Christian, then give them a great example of what Christianity looks like. Show them what the love of God looks like. Pray for them. And may it be that God softens their hearts and brings them to God through you. May that be. However, Paul is saying, however, there does sometimes come a point when you've got a, 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 a believer with an unbeliever, that you don't have the same foundation for resolving issues. The same fundamental basis for life and faith and morality isn't there if you don't have God in common. And therefore, there can come a point where sometimes you face unresolvable issues because of the fundamentally different foundations in life. And he said, that, that's a different situation. But he's saying, in the Lord, you should work things out. You've got to agree in the Lord. Let's go back to the Bible verses that we were looking at, okay? You're all wiggling around uncomfortable in your seats. Help these men and women keep on cooperating, for they have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, you see what Paul is doing. Let's go back to talking about how to resolve those issues in those original verses. He's saying, okay, those two ladies, they're, they're not resolving their issue. And so he appeals. It's, I think he's appealing to the pastor of the church. Would you sit down with them? It sounds like he's writing to the pastor of the church. He's reading this letter to the church. He saying, would you sit down with those two ladies and would you just talk about the issue? Now, notice what Paul does. And this is good advice for anyone who is trying to challenge someone on an issue between you he does this thing, we call it the praise sandwich. You know, you've got praise, challenge, praise. You see that? He starts the verses by saying, my fellow believers whom I love and long for, my delight and my crown. Now, you should, when you hear someone approach you and say that to you, you should think, what's my problem? What, 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 what have I done wrong? Pete, my fellow worker, you are my delight and my crown. Think no one's ever called me that. I know what's coming next, okay? So, <laughs> But it's good advice. It's good advice. My wife's a teacher. She does uh, two stars and a wish, all right? It, it, any parents had their kids come home with two stars and a wish? It's like, you know, neat jota, really nice jota. That's nice. And thank you for being so polite to your teachers. But please stop stabbing Alex with your pencil, okay? <laughs> two stars and a wish, okay? So this is, what, this, is what, this is what Paul is doing in this letter. He's saying, oh, you're my delight, my crown, you idiot and sympathy. You need to resolve your issues. And then he goes back to, but hey, you're my fellow workers. You serve God with me and your names are written in heaven. So he starts and finishes with encouragement. But right in the middle there, he he brings a challenge. And, um, And he gives them two perspectives. He gives them two big perspectives. He's saying, you risked everything for the gospel, guys. You two ladies, you're struggling with each other. You've got this conflict. But hey, you're the ones who with me We risked everything for the gospel. You know, we don't get that totally because our culture is pretty safe. But way back 2,000 years ago, when Paul was planting this church in Philippi and these women were involved with Paul in that planting and that mission, that was not safe. Paul himself was in prisons. And in chapter one of Philippians, he refers to the fact that many of them were now suffering the same challenge that he suffered. This is not safe being a Christian in these days. And he's saying, Ladies, listen, you've suffered so much for the gospel. Why on earth are you jeopardizing uh, your unity? You're you're pursuing God together. You've risked everything for God. Why on earth are you allowing there to be some sort of crack in your relationship? This is crazy. He appeals to them and says, listen, and then he goes on and says, and listen, your names are written in the book of life. You're going to head to heaven. In fact, God will probably see to it that he will make you neighbors in heaven You've got to be spending eternity together. You've got to resolve this now. I love what someone once said, to dwell above with those, the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, that's a different story. <laughs> you know, this message, the gospel message, this message is so great. This message is so special that it is worth risking everything for. I mean, what message is worth risking your very life for? This message, the gospel message. And what message, what other message on earth tells you that your name can be written in a book in heaven? The gospel is very simply this. It means good news. And the good news is very simply this. You're a sinner, but Jesus died for sinners. He rose again the third day. You believe in that, your name is written in a book in the very presence of God. That's amazing. You know, if you're a believer, do you know that your name is written in the book of life? That's an amazing thought. Your name actually has been written by God in the book of life. If you're a believer, that's you. Are you a believer? Is your name written in the book of life. This message is so special. It's, I mean, it's so naive and simple on the surface that you're a sinner, but Jesus died for sinners and rose again. Believe in him and you're saved. Seems so simple, seems so naive in a sophisticated culture, but yet it's so powerful I'd risk everything for that message. It's such a true message. It is the message that will change our city. It is the message that will change your life. It is the message by which, if you believe it, your, there's no other message that will get your name written in a book in heaven. But that message will. You believe in the gospel. You believe in what Jesus did for you in that cross. Your name gets written in a book in heaven. And so Paul's appealing to them on the basis of these great things. He's saying, come on, resolve these issues. Agree in the Lord. And do you know what? I think what would have happened, they, they'd have been sitting there in that congregation. Paul, Paul's letters were read out to them. And I think straight afterwards they would say, we need to resolve this. Paul's right. We've, got, we've been pursuing God for so many years. We're going to heaven. We're in the Lord together. Why are we letting this be an issue for us? I'm pretty sure on the back of that, those two ladies would resolve their issues. So here's the thing. How do you resolve conflicts? How do you do it today? If, if, you, if you have a conflict with another person, how do you resolve that conflict? Well, let's go to what Jesus' advice was. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and 16, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their sin default just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they do not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And that's, that's exactly what Paul told this church to do. He said in verse 3, As, I ask to my true companion that you help these women On cooperating, to keep on cooperating. He he got a third party involved to sit down with the two of them. But first instance, step number one if you have a problem with someone else, step number one is go and talk to the person about the problem. Now, it seems so obvious, and yet oftentimes it's the last thing we do. What people often do is this they have a problem with someone and they don't tell them the problem, they just bottle it up on the insides and if you bottle up problems on the insides issues with someone else what does it become it becomes a bitterness it takes root in your soul and that bears bad fruits in your life that root will not just damage you it will damage those around you because hurt people hurt people so you don't want to let that seed go down into your soul Don't let it become a bitterness. Don't just ignore problems you've got with someone else. Resolve problems you've got with someone else. And that doesn't mean you should always talk to people about their sins. Sometimes you just got to forgive them. It says in the book of Proverbs, it is one's glory to overlook an offense. So there's a moment where you think, do you know what? I don't need to say anything. I'm just going to go overlook that one and I'll forgive them. That's fine. But if you find it's becoming a bitterness in your soul and you're no longer able to work with that person, it's not fine. You need to talk to that person. You need to go to them and say, and tell them the thing. And here's here's the other thing that will happen: is if you don't talk to them, what often happens is you start talking about them. That's often what happens. I won't ask for a show of hands. Okay, let me, ask you, let me ask you the other way around, okay? So not, have you been someone who has told someone about your problems with someone else? I, don't, I wouldn't get you to confess that because I know none of you would do such things, okay? But let me just ask you this way. How many people have heard others come to them with their issue with someone else in life? Hands up, hands up, okay? You're all, you're all, basically, all of your hands go up. The reality is what happens is people don't, you know, Jesus says, very simply, if, you, if someone sins against you, go talk to them. It seems so simple and yet often it's the last thing people do. They either bottle up and it becomes a bitterness in the soul and that doesn't ruin them, it ruins you. Or they start not talking about them, but talk, sorry, not talking to them but talking about them and then all of a sudden your problem has gone wide, wider and deeper and that brings ruin to people's lives and to communities. It's gossip and you've got to avoid gossip. And by the way, if someone gossips to you, chances are they're probably gossiping about you as well. So don't trust people like that don't be a gossip repent if you're gossiping cut it out deal with it repent and if you're carrying stuff in your heart that you know you need to talk to someone about then just get it out there talk to them and I know it's an awkward situation I get that but the but not doing it is even worse it becomes a bitterness and the damage there is incredibly bad so here's the question right Jesus saying if your brother and sister sins against you go talk to them who's done the sinning them or you hands up Hands. tell me Hello, anybody out there? Hello, people, anyone there? Anyone? Wake up, wake up. Okay, let me ask a question. This is a question often people, when they ask questions, quite, quite commonly, people give an answer, all right? Let's try that one again. So if your brother or sister sins, go point out their sins between the two of you. Uh, who has done the sinning, them or you? Oh, good, so there are people out there. So them, they've done the sinning, okay? Who does Jesus say he's got to put it right, them or you? You, Okay, here's another example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. And I love how God backs us into a corner. Here we go. If you're offering your gift at an altar and there remember that your brother and sister is something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go and first be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Okay, I'm going to ask you another question and you're going to give me another answer. I'm just priming you. Okay, let's try this. Here we go. If you're offering your gift at an altar and there remember your brother and sister is something against you. Okay, so who's done the sinning potentially in the situation? Them or you? No, me. Okay, okay, no more confused. Okay, no, confused. Okay, it's not them, it's us, right? Okay, them or us. Okay, thank you. Them or us, us. And who does Jesus say is the one who is responsible for putting it right? Them or us? No way. No way. So God's backed us into a corner here, right? So, and here's the thing we do. God is back into the corner. If, if they have sinned against you, who's responsible to put it right? Us. If you have sinned against them, who's responsible to put it right? Us. That's right. In other words, the buck stops with you. <laughs> I'm really sorry. There is no option where they're the ones who are responsible. All the options point to, you are the ones who are responsible. Turn to your neighbor and say, sorry, but you're the one who's responsible. Go on, tell them. Tell your neighbors, you are the one who's responsible. Richard, you're the one who's responsible. You're all responsible. And this is so important. You know, you might say, but you know what? I have nothing against them. I have nothing against them. If they've got a problem with me, that's their problem. They, you know, they, they're the one with the problem. They, they're the one who's, you know, if they've got a problem with me, they can come and talk to me. You ever said, oh, sorry, no, sorry, have you ever, ever heard anyone say that to you? Oh man, you've ever heard anyone say that to you? Oh man, if it's their problem, they should come to me if they've got a problem. I mean, you'd never say that, but you've heard others say that. And what we're doing in that moment is we're saying that the problem's not us, but no, Jesus said, No, the problem is your problem. The problem's with you. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 Blessed are the peacemakers. Say peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And sometimes to make peace, there needs to be, sometimes there needs to be, before the calm, there needs to be a storm. Sometimes there needs to be a bit of conflict before you get a proper resolve. Sometimes peace only comes as a result of a war. You didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. You know, the UN in in that Bosnia-Serbia conflict in the 90s, I remember UN peacekeepers were there. And you know what was so frustrating? Many of the UN peacekeepers literally had to stand back as they saw atrocities taking place in front of them, they were not allowed to intervene. God's not calling us to be peacekeepers. He's called you to be peacemakers. And to make peace, you need to deal sometimes with the root issues behind the problems that are causing the conflict in the first place. Be a peacemaker. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, and sometimes it's not, but if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If I'm going to build a bridge between me and you, I can't start on your side. I can only start on my side. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, in other words, just do everything you can do from your ends. You can't make their decisions for them. You are not responsible for how they respond, but you are responsible to build that bridge. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. So, what happens if you take offense in Destiny Church Edinburgh? So, do you you quit on church? If if you take offense in the church, if someone in this church upsets you, do you quit on church? Well, that would be to actually miss out on God's destiny for your life. To quit on church and say and become one of the actual many people who live in the Lothians who no longer go to any church. They used to go to church but they no longer go to church. And if you ask them why, they will typically talk about others rather than themselves. They'll typically say, oh, it's the hypocrites, or "Is was this person upset me. So if someone upsets you, is the option, I'm going to quit on church? Should never be the question. Ah, but the church hurt me. It's full of hypocrites. Folks, the world is full of hypocrites, okay? People are hypocritical. The pub's full of hypocrites. You still go there, okay the bowling club is full of hypocrites okay the your school is full of hypocrites your workplace is full of hypocrites okay you still go there because you get paid the world is full of hypocrites it just so happens that oh lo and behold there are people in this church if you want if you want to be away from hypocrites go to mars you can't do that yet you can't you have to wait for elon musk to come up with something but it's not happening yet The world is full of hypocrites. So, yes, it just so happens that this church is also full of hypocrites because you're here. (laughs) I love how you're laughing, realizing you're a hypocrite. (laughs) Don't condemn the church because Jesus died to justify the church. Don't pull the church down. Jesus said, I will build the church. Don't pull down what he's building. Don't quit on the church. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He he said he would never quit on the church. So why on earth would you want to quit on the church? He calls the church his bride, and he never quits on his bride. So don't quit on what Jesus will never quit on. Don't pull down what Jesus died to build up. Don't reject what Jesus said, I will never reject or forsake. Love the church because God loves the church. So important. You know, some people say, oh, I love Jesus. Just don't like the church. You've heard people say that? Oh, yeah, Jesus, he's cool. I just don't like the church. Well, the Bible teaches that the church is his body. In fact, the Bible uses the analogy that the husband is the head of the wife, just as the church is, Christ is the head of the church. So you saying, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. That would be like me saying to my wife, honey, I like your head, I just don't like your body. Right? I would, guys, you try that. That's not going to go down well. That's not going to... Oh, I like Jesus. Just don't like the church. It's not going to go down well. Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his body. Loves the bride of Christ. You know, you have car trouble, but you still drive. You don't quit on cars. You have a leaky roof. You don't say, "Oh, well, stuff this, I'm going to be homeless. I have a leaky roof. Okay, so... And listen... I encourage you not just to not quit on church. I encourage you to throw yourself more into church. I encourage you don't just be a crowd on a Sunday, but get involved with serving through, you know, be, be a server in the church. Thank you so much for everyone who's serving today, helping with the kids ministries and the youth ministries. And, and in fact, you're not doing anything today, are you? Okay, so, and, and, and the catering teams and the stewarding teams and the, the PA guys. And then through the week, all the homeless teams working with you. Thank you for serving. Keep, be involved with serving. Don't just come, be involved And don't just come on a Sunday, be involved in a small group, go deeper, let community be rich for you. You know what? Honestly, if you haven't been offended at destiny, it's simply because you have not been around long enough. It will happen. Say amen. It will happen. You will get offended in this church. Why? Because I'm here and you're here because there are people here and here we have the perfect church, the church of Philippi, and yet there's cracks in this church, in a book written about joy, and yet there's a church with some problems. Okay, so don't quit on church. Also, what if you have an offense with someone in this church? you just go to another church then? Well, that's the easy option. And that's what some of you have done coming here. Okay, bless you. Welcome to church. <laughs> and, and, you know, some of you have done that. You know, and often what happens is you get offended at church, and then... You, 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 suddenly God speaks to you. No way. And you say, "And oh, the Lord has led me to go to another church. Wow, did God speak just as you got that offense? That's amazing. <laughs> you know what you're doing. You're, you're, you're spiritualizing things. You're just kind of, kind of just, I can't say, oh, I got offended. I didn't have soft enough heart to forgive them, so I just jumped ship to another church. You didn't say that. You said, oh, no, the Lord led me to another church. What? <laughs> that's, that's crazy. You know, we, tr- we treat churches like we treat shops and restaurants. We're like consumers. We're like customers. We expect a certain service, and if we don't get that service, then we say, oh, well, the Lord is leading me somewhere else. <laughs> now, we don't do that when it comes to shop. We just don't go back to the shop or restaurant. We leave a complaint but with churches, we're too spiritual for that. So we tell everyone, oh, it's the Lord who led us onto another place. Well, maybe it wasn't the Lord who led you onto another place. You know, thank God you're here, but maybe it wasn't the Lord that brought you here. All right, no offense, but hey, welcome. Uh, just, just from now on, just build right. Okay, it's like pot plants. You know, if you have a tree and you just constantly just put it in a pot with shallow soil, and then every few months you just take the tree out of that pot and puts it into another pot, that tree will never become the tree it was designed to be, never. Never reaches full potential. Never put his roots deep enough to, to get enough strength to build big enough and to bear that much fruit that it was designed to do in the first place. God has a design for you to bear much fruit. God has a design for you to be a person who brings transformation in a city and in, in communities. God has a purpose for your life. And do you know what? Sometimes God's purpose for your life just means just stay planted in the same place for years. You know, I, I invite, we've got so many people in this church who, who actually, through the years, have seen the church grow and go through challenges, and then grow, and then go through challenges. So so many people have just been here year in, year out, just faithful, roots down, and bearing fruit. And I, I want that for you. I don't want you to be just people who just jump around place to place. And I'm not saying God won't sometimes lead people to go from one church to another. That does happen. But make sure it's God leading you. And sometimes that happens, and I give them my blessing. Sometimes God will ask you to go somewhere else. No problem. I'm not trying to cling on to people. I'm just trying to prevent you from immaturity. Because sometimes what happens is people go from place to place, and actually the, the common factor in the situation is them. Okay? They're the one who they've got in common. Man, what was it that was about that church that is also similar to this church? It was you, mate. It was you. You were there, and you are here, and problems are keep creeping up. Man, everywhere I go, there's problems. Yes! You are the common factor. You are the common factor. You are the problem, sunshine. So, and here's the thing. If you just keep going from place to place, never face the issues, then you stay in immaturity. But God in his love wants you to actually, sometimes God will allow the conflict to come to change you, make you more like Jesus. And if you just jump ship, you'll never make that change. You'll just keep going around that mountain and never into the promised land that God intended for your life. Stop dating churches. It's time to commit to one. So, oh, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church. Okay, technically, technically, you can be a Christian without the local church, technically. Being a Christian means you believe in Jesus. You can technically be a Christian without the local church, but you cannot live the Christian life without the local church. Because there's something about being in a local church that changes you. Even the offense. There's something about being in this environment That cannot happen by sitting at home on a sofa watching God TV and saying, I just love Jesus. I'm not going to go to church. I'm just going to watch God TV. All right. There's something that will not take place in your life that will take place in your life if you're in a community of believers. But I get it. It's more uncomfortable here. I understand that. I understand that. But your life will be changed and transformed and you become sanctified. Say sanctified. That means you're changed to become more like Jesus. That happens in the context of the local church what's your biggest goal your happiness or your holiness in other words how you feel about things isn't as important as what you're becoming and being in local church is God's means to make you holy it's like the sculptor who's making a horse and a man walks in and all he sees is this huge big lump of marble and he's seen the sculptor chipping away at this lump of marble. And he's saying, what are you making? He said, I'm making a horse. He said, how are you going to make? Where's the horse? I can't. I'm just a lump of marble. And the, the sculptor said, listen, I'm just knocking away everything that doesn't look like a horse. Just knocking it all away. And that's what God's doing in your life. He puts you in this environment just to knock away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Because he wants you to become more like Jesus. And sometimes it's, you don't just need each other. You needle each other. It's the needles in around each other, actually, that helps us become more like Jesus. Sometimes it's through the conflict that you learn about humility. Sometimes it's through the conflict that you learn about maturity and you learn not to quit when things are hard. Sometimes it's in those moments that you become more like Jesus than when things are plain sailing. You have a choice when you face offense to become bitter or better. With God's help, stay planted, you will become better. God has one plan for planet Earth. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 23, God has placed all things under his feet and he's appointed him as head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him which fills everything in every way. God has one plan by which this entire planet will be filled and impacted in every way. The life of God will spread. What's his plan? His plan is the local church. He doesn't have a plan B. And therefore, you will only fulfill your destiny in the context of the bigger destiny. You being part of the big plan and you have an awesome part to play in it. Stay planted. You're an awesome people. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Paul's love and challenge to this church in Philippi. Thank you, God, for your desire for people to be reconciled, Thank you, God, for being the God of peace, the God who challenges us to come into a place of reconciliation. God, I, I know that some people, for fear of rejection, don't really commit to church. You know, they come on a Sunday, but they, they don't go to a small group because, well, I once did that in a church, or I, I got too involved in one place, and to be honest, I just got hurt. And that's and that's where they're at. They don't want to be hurt. But God, the alternative is even worse. The alternative is they stay in quiet isolation and don't become more like Jesus. So God, in this gritty environment called church where people will be offended, I pray that we would grow. I pray that we would be quick to repent, soft-hearted, malleable, soft and pliable like clay in the hands of the potter. Changes to be more like Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, transform us, change us, impact us. We invite you to do this, God. Make us offense resistant. Let us be those who are quick to forgive and quick to resolve. God, in Jesus' name, I pray this. Thank you, Father. Just each one of you in God's presence, respond just to what you've heard. Maybe this thing specifically, maybe it's in relationships you're in that you think, do you know what? I need to, do, I need to make a shift in that area. Then go for it. Just make a decision before God just now. While people are praying, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you're here today and your name's not written in the book of life, I can't write your name in the book of life. But God can. And it happens the moment you put your faith in Jesus. So whoever you are in this room, and just to be clear, I'm not saying become a member of this church. You're welcome to be. But that's not what I'm talking to you about. I'm talking to about you and God. If you're here today and you don't yet know God, then in this moment, this is for you. Why not make the greatest decision of your life? put your faith in Jesus so that's you today and you're saying Peter today I want to trust in Jesus as my savior then I invite you to pray this prayer with me just under your breath just now after me one line at a time pray with me dear God thank you for your amazing love for me Jesus thank you you are willing to resolve the greatest conflict ever Thank you for coming into this world and 2,000 years ago dying on that Roman cross for me. I believe you shed your blood. You died in my place so I could be forgiven. I believe you rose again on the third day and I believe you're alive right now. today I put my trust in you. I place my faith in you to be my savior. I turn my life over to you. I choose to become your follower. Jesus, be Lord of my life from now on. Thank you so much for hearing my prayer. Keep your eyes closed. I'd like to pray for you today. If you prayed that prayer and that's a decision you've just made in God's presence, I'd like to pray for you wherever you are in this auditorium or in the cafe. If that's you today and you made that decision, could you just raise your hand and say, that's me today and then I'll pray for you. Just quickly raise your hand nice and high so I can see it. If you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand just now. I'll wait for you. Is there anyone like that today? Thank you. thanks mate is anyone else before I pray is anyone else put your hands up so I can see you anyone else God thank you for this man thank you today he's just prayed a prayer and you've heard him he's just committed himself to following Jesus he's asked for forgiveness and you've heard him and I pray God this would be the beginning of a revolution a good revolution in his life Thank you, God, you've forgiven his sins. Thank you, God, you save him today. Bless him and encourage him. In Jesus' name.